everyone. Welcome back to Reality 2.0. I am Catherine Druckmann. Doc Searles and I are talking to Kyle Rankin. Kyle is, among other things, president of Purism, a company that makes privacy respecting open source hardware. But he also does a lot of things, and he is, like we are, interested in privacy. Uh, before we get started, I would like to remind everyone to go to our website, reality2cast.com. That is the number two, where you will find all of the links to everything we talked about today and a lot more. And also thank you to our Patreon and coffee patrons and all the people who listen and email us and we appreciate it. So with that, so what are we talking about today? We're talking about cars. Who doesn't like to talk about cars? Well, okay, a lot of people probably, but in particular, we're talking about cars and privacy. And that is a theme that is, uh, has a lot of uh, material for mining. So. What do we think? What do we think? What started well, this? Maybe we should start with that. What started this conversation was an article in the markup that is about all of these various entities that are collecting data from your car. And Kyle tweeted it. Thank you, Kyle, for always giving us show content <laughs> and inspiration. Well, I mean, I, so this isn't any, any sort of a new issue necessarily either. What, what's really great about the markup article is that they is they as always do really good research and then they they've gone into the ecosystem behind all of this because it's one thing to say that car companies have because now cars are basically sort of rolling smartphones in many ways that they have you know all of these computer components within them that collect data it's one thing just to understand that and then maybe think oh well yeah if i have onstar then in theory someone if someone can remotely start my car then someone can remotely start my car you know i mean that's But what, given, what does that but, really mean? <laughs> There's a lot yeah. more going on that we have no idea about. Probably. Yeah. And so this article talks about some of the data brokers and the fact that, you know, even if you don't necessarily have a fully internet connected car, that because your car is still, car computer is still constantly collecting all of this data about, you know, is someone sitting in the passenger seat? Is all of this other stuff at, where are you? Um, how far have you driven? All of these sorts of things that it, it collects all those things. And even when you go to get your car serviced, even so, even if you didn't have a connected car that was always online, uh, you could still have this data be shared because when you go to the vendor to get it serviced, they're plugging into the car computer and, and slurping all of this data down. Uh, and, yeah. you know, but in many cases, it's not even that there's there's just remote connections nowadays right. with a lot of computers it, to vendors. Uh, it, every car them. comes with a cell phone. It has its own number. You never know that number. You don't know what it is. You don't even know what carrier it's with. And that's been the case for a while, but I feel like it's, it's different and it has been different in the last couple of years as, as they've gotten way more advanced. So for example, I always had a lot of smart features. I had communication, like an OnStar type thing in, in, in the cars I've had probably for the last 10 years, at least. And even, you know, fancy entertainment interfaces that did a lot of somewhat internet connected things, but my most recent car, which is fairly new, um, I like a lot of things about it. It's very comfortable. I feel like it's safe. One of the things I like less was that when I turned it on for the first time, I got basically a GDPR pop-up. Like, seriously? And then I started because it, it has more and more and more. Um, and yeah, it's just, uh, I hadn't, I, I, immediately gave it a lot of thought more than I would have otherwise because of, you know, just because of that message, I thought, well, why is this necessary? <laughs> but, um, but it's, it's, it's hidden. It's like, like other privacy issues with regard to, for example, the, the lists of people that data brokers are selling and the se- secret consumer scores that we've mentioned before. You know, there was a great article by Kashmir Hill I will link to. Um, like those type of things, it's a little bit hidden. It's really hard to find. And that's why things like the, the markup or this markup article are so valuable because they really dig into things that are, that are intentionally obfuscated. Yeah, yeah. What I like about talking about this in terms of how it impacts cars is similar to the reason that TVs are a great sort of, sort of platform for this in that we, we lived in a world before this with that same thing. So we lived in a world with TVs before they were smart, and we lived in a world with with uh, cars before they were smart. So we have to compare yeah. contrast. Like because a lot of the old. things that smartphones got away with, um, and are still getting away with, are because they were this new thing. And so the, with the smartphones, everyone, everyone, all the major vendors realized we could rewrite the rules of what a computer can do 
and what we're allowed to do with a computer, um, whether or not it's in the consumer's interest. And now later, everyone else is looking at that model and realizing if you follow that model, there's a lot of money to be made. So if it's a smart television, I mean, analyzing literally the video feed and, and, and figuring out what you're watching via that, even if you don't sign up for any sort of subscription service. Uh, and now with cars, everyone realizes that they don't do that. They're leaving money on the table. And you could even argue there's a fiduciary responsibility uh, for them if they're uh, you know, a publicly traded C corporation to uh, collect this data within the, within the limits of the law uh, and then sell it because there's this revenue stream that they, you know, that yeah. they would be missing out on otherwise. God if forbid. They <laughs> well, th th there are so many angles we could take on this thing, but one that's important. And if you look at the markup article, um, a bunch of insurance companies, farmers and Geico and, and a bunch of them are getting some of this information. And some of that is actually useful. It's useful to the car maker. It's useful to the insurance companies. It's useful to, um, uh, and it's not necessarily personal. It doesn't have to be personal. It could be anonymized. It could be lots of things can be done with it. Um, uh, and the car makers themselves, you know, they they can design better cars because they know more about what every one of their cars does. You know, whether whether somebody's not comfortable in it, like if my wife's Toyota, which is a 2020 Camry, top of the line hybrid, um, I find the driver's seat pretty uncomfortable, and I find the passenger seat very comfortable. Does it know that? Is there a system that knows that? It's a system that says, hey, that guy, when he's in there, goes to the other seat because he'd rather his wife drive because she's more comfortable there. I have no idea. And that's part of the problem. It's a big part of the problem. This should be our data and not just theirs. It should, it's our car. And an important thing about, and this is a really key point that you made, Kyle, we had the experience of the car as an extension of ourselves, you know, as, a, as an instrument of our agency and autonomy and capacity to to operate in this social world called traffic, and and we and we know what that's like, and there's and we romanticized it. I mean, I I'm, I grew up in the '50s and '60s when car culture, especially in California, where I wasn't, but I really wanted to be, I was later, it got huge. Um, you know, just it it was it was a big part of who we were was what we drove. There's a really great book called "You Are What You Drive." <laughs> that that came out a few years ago it was actually a series of cartoons but it showed what the difference between like a porsche driver and a, a buick station wagon driver were but we we wore these things that's this carapace on our bodies that that had fenders and wheels and we thought of that as this is my steering wheel these are my these are my tires this is my engine and um you know springsteen's you know sang in one of his songs strap your hands across my engine baby you know the metaphor of that is very, very powerful. And it's being, well, the, and this is kind of weird thing where we are given better and better, better cars that are less and less ours. And, and now they are basically, we are suction cups on the tentacles of giant corporations and lesser ones too, for, the, for that matter, that are getting this information. We know nothing about it. Whatever it is that Catherine had to consent to and that my wife had to consent to when she bought her Toyota. And I really wanted to take screenshots of that Oh, I think I have one. That stuff, and oh, that would be smart if you did. But when I asked at the at the car dealer, when I looked in the literature, and of course the guidebook is like, you know, an inch an inch thick, there was very little information about what gets done with the data that's collected in the car. Um, I mean, it was weird enough just to discover this is going out all the time over cellular connection. Wow! And we knew it was Verizon because my I had a. T-Mobile phone and my wife had a Verizon phone. And when you have the car for the first two or three months, they give you free, they turn the car into a free hotspot. And mm -hmm. so yeah, the hotspot shows how many bars of coverage they've got. And it, and it mapped identical to her Verizon and not to my T-Mobile. And I'm sure it was a Verizon, it was a Verizon phone in the car, you know? And I wanted to ask, what's the number? Can I call it? What What is that? You know, and obviously Toyota had, which is, tied with Volkswagen for the biggest company in the world, you know, biggest car company, at least it's a quarter billion, a quarter trillion dollar company. They could do what they want to a large degree. But my feeling is that the driving, what driving is, would be much better if we had, if we knew it was going on. And I, and that's just the, not just the car companies, it's the phone companies. I want the phone companies to tell me where my phone was. Let me have it. You know, tell me. 
you know, this is interesting information to me. I want to know where I've been. Anyway, yeah. Well, and and there's no, I mean, among other problems with it is that unlike even on a cell phone where, where you can argue what level of autonomy and control you have over that, and we have on the show. Yeah, okay. And you're in the, you're in the business of the yeah, autonomy right, yes. thing. Right. <laughs> Get a so, plug in. So all of that's <laughs> having been said, on a modern car, you have less of an ability to either opt out or have to, I mean, obviously it'd be better if you could, if you had to opt into this collection, but you start, but you can't even opt out of it. It's just sort of baked in and in hidden. So it's not like you can go in somewhere, flip a switch. There's no airplane mode, you know, yeah, unlike even yeah, on a yeah. phone, you could wow, argue. That's a good point. I, yeah. I could, at least with my phone, I could either turn off my phone or I could turn on airplane mode and, and hope that that does what it says it's going to do. Even without like a, you know, I'm going to do my purism hardware kill switch thing here, but, but even without that, you at least have a sense that you could, you could turn on airplane mode or turn off the phone, but you can't, your car, especially an electric car is the same sort of problem with a smartphone where you have a gigantic battery and it's always on. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. So as long yeah. as there's battery power, and I guess arguably an internal combustion engine car would be using the same, would be using the car battery to power some of this. I don't know how much those cars automatic, like phone home when you're not driving and when it's not uh, on because you might drain the battery. I don't know, yeah, but no, yeah. Sure they don't. But electric cars certainly have no reason not to. I mean, they have an, an, a battery that's so powerful you can use it to to run your house off of in the yeah, power yeah, outage. Yeah, yeah, You know. Yeah. Yeah, that's um. Yeah, yeah. so it, another well, so this kind of ties into another kind of car related conversation, which is I don't I don't know if anyone's been shopping for a car recently. <laughs> it's terrible. There there yeah, aren't enough cars. Time. I mean, there's a massive massive. But a sixteen percent right? so, increase on a used car price the last year. Yeah, it's, that today. It, it's Feels crazy. Like I, I saw I saw something where um, car rental companies are paying like way way over you know what we would expect uh, blue book value just to get car inventory like old cars 2018 something they just need cars, um, and that's you know that's one of the factors that's driving the prices up and and dealers even are. Um, I mean, it's a it's a small group of bad actors, but some dealers are marking cars up insane amounts, and manufacturers are trying to crack down on this. And I will again, I will include a link about this. But so GM has announced that they are going to restrict warranty coverage for people who are suspected of flipping cars. Uh, people will mm. buy buy a car and then you know resell it at a profit within a year of buying it, and they don't want people doing that. So they're saying, okay, well, you can't, if you resell your car within a year, you can't transfer the warranty to a new owner. Okay, so, but then the speculation goes that, wait a second, with connected cars, what if they decide, well, you know, the warranty thing isn't working. We'll just shut down your, your software remotely and your car doesn't function properly or, or at all. And, and you kind of go, well, I mean, I would, maybe there are laws and regulations to prevent that, but I don't know because I, there was the example of a Tesla customer who who lost range because the battery that they had was um, rated higher than what they had paid for. They had gotten it secondhand or even thirdhand. Um, and at some point in the car's history, Tesla had replaced the battery with a larger capacity battery. And I, I can't remember the details exactly, but Tesla said, oops, sorry, you're not supposed to have that much. We disabled it for you. Wink, wink. We fixed your problem. They, yeah. so, you know, so this guy suddenly can, you know, maybe drive ninety fewer miles than, than before. But if you want that additional feature, it's forty five hundred dollars. So mm. if they can do that, what prevents other companies from doing the same thing? Well, and and I think that's the great example because I don't think, as far as will a car company remotely power off someone's car. I mean, I could, I could think of scenarios where that could be, but a more likely scenario and one that's happening now is that in along the same lines that the, the notion of ownership is now murky with smartphones, mm -hmm. uh, the notion of ownership is getting murky with cars because, it, uh, because they have the ability now to make features, um, to enable and disable features in software where before... You know, 20 years ago, you went to a car lot and whatever you bought in terms of upgrades to the car at the time uh, was what you had. And so they would say, yeah, you need to pay, 
if you want the undercoating or whatever, you have the extra stereo system, we would do the math that it's hard for people to do math in their head going out over months, but it's only $20 a month to do X, Y, Z, where if mm -hmm. you told someone the actual sticker price of adding, upgrading that stereo, they would say, forget it. I can go somewhere else and get a better stereo. But anyway, now what they're doing is there's so many features. It's sort of like the enterprise server market, actually, uh, where you would buy this really expensive product that has extra mm -hmm. RAM, it has extra ports, it has whatever, it, whatever functionality it has, it actually already has, but it's not on. Mm -hmm. And you have to go talk to the vendor and get a license key to unlock this feature that physically exists there in, in the software actually is installed and is ready to go, but you have to pay to unlock it. And now a lot of vend car vendors, because they have this remote control over the car, are doing the same thing with, with features in the car. Um, like BMW has yeah, um, headlight see. assist, where um, when you're driving with your high beams on, it can detect when there's cars coming oh, yeah. um, the other way and dim them and all that nice stuff. Well, when you go, it's a button, you know, and traditionally you would buy a car and then either have that, buy that or not. Now it's a button that when you press it, you get a pop-up on your car uh, computer saying, hey, this is a subscription only feature. Would you like to subscribe oh, boy, to Bob? That's horrible. And then you punch yeah. your dashboard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Tesla's, Tesla's even worse about it because they, I mean, they're sort of at the forefront of this and, and saw the potential here. The, but the thing that you're describing is them backporting this yeah. new decision they made onto an old customer. And people that are now buying used secondhand Teslas are finding this a lot. There's a lot of anxiety over whether supercharging will be enabled. This is a, one of the many things that they... Supercharging is a great, great example of a battery capacity and batteries is a, a second example. And a third example is, um, is auto, like any sort of automatic driving, self-driving modes. All of those are software upgrades now. Uh, mm -hmm. And so you've had people in the past that had a car where they paid for it and it was enabled. And then when they sell the car, the car hardware is transferable, but apparently whatever the one-time fee was for the upgrade isn't transferable. So say you bought a car and you paid $10,000 for um, self-driving mode or whatever it is right now, and then you sold your Tesla, the new owner of the Tesla would have to pay for that subscription again, that one time, even though it's a one-time fee, uh, they would have to pay for it again to be enabled once they discovered that you were the secondary owner. The same thing happened for this battery. They clearly are shipping cars with full capacity batteries in many cases, and then simply deducting the price and then enabling it back in software later when people say that they want it. And they caught this person who's a third owner and said, Hey, Oh, Hey, we fixed this problem where we weren't licensed. You weren't, you didn't have a licensed battery probably because when they did it, they weren't licensing the extra capacity yet. They just right. sold you the hardware. It reminds me a little bit of the uh, old Volkswagens. Like I drove 59 and a 63 rolled to 63. But anyway, they had what they called a spare gas tank. And you turned a, a lever. And what it actually did was it dropped the, the pipe that drains the gas tank to the bottom. <laughs> so, and it was just one gas tank. But it was at least they didn't charge extra for it. But it, it reminds me of that. It's sort of this slight of slight of something uh, uh, slight of faith, I think it, it's you you know, again, you, you, you want this to be yours. You want these, these outfits to deal fairly with you. A tough thing is that as traffic even becomes smarter, as cars become smarter and more and more of them become electric, the range of manipulation that can take place in the cloud and in, at, at the car companies and at, at their third, part, part, third parties becomes larger and larger and larger while your scope of agency gets smaller. You know, I mean, it's, it's sort of bad enough for me. I mean, I, my older two kids, I taught to drive on a, on a stick shift car. You know, I could not find a stick shift car to teach my youngest kid on. Didn't exist. And to me, that's driving. You, you have to know yeah. how to drive a stick shift. And then you know how the car works. You know, you, you have a, a sense in your body of how that thing works. And um, I have one friend who has a Tesla and likes it, likes it a lot, but says, it's not my car. I paid for it, but it's not my car. It's Tesla's car. I, I just, I just rent it kind of, you know, that's, and that's, that ain't right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But what to do about it is like, I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not sure what our leverage is to do something about it. 
what's weird is that there are, I feel like there are certain features where people are okay with it being a subscription and certain features where people are then up in arms because, uh, and it's funny and it's trying, I've spent some time trying to figure out, you know, which, where, where any particular one belongs, but also the reason behind it. For example, like I, it doesn't bother me that, um, my uh, Wi-Fi hotspot or uh, something like that is a subscription in my car. I don't care if I don't want it. And I probably don't, I'm just not going to pay for it. Um, and, and there are other, I don't know, maybe uh, maps or, or traffic services or something like that. It doesn't bother me too much to subscribe to that. But then when you tell me that I have to subscribe to my heated seats that are just, you know, heating elements that exist in my car that are a, a, a physical thing, that makes me crazy. And I wonder why that is. It's well, it's because there's a difference between a physical thing that's being enabled that that is only now being disabled in software for an arbitrary reason to basically yeah. to mm-hmm. charge you versus something that, for example, is providing you a monthly service. Uh, let's take the example of a hotspot. It makes mm-hmm. sense that I'm getting a monthly service so that my car is connected to the internet and I can tether off of it or whatever. So that I could see someone charging for that. I could see someone charging for, even for updates to maps because right. maybe you pay once and you get it locked in the time. But if you want to get the latest right. map updates, updates, I could yeah. see you paying a subscription for that or integration to like say Spotify or something in your entertainment center. center. But something where you have the wires in the seat and yeah. it could work if only you could flip that software switch yeah, so that's, that, I think that's why it seems weird because it's not necessary to the, you know, you're not buying software. The hardware's you already paid for the hardware. It physically is there. Mm. And also it's because we're boiled frogs and this is what we're used to. This <laughs> is the subscription model that we're used to. And I wonder though, if, if, you know, in 20 years, people will think it's perfectly normal <laughs> to pay a subscription for your heated seats. Well, I, I suspect, I suspect it'll be more likely in the future. Now, now I'm Here's Kyle doing a future prediction, so watch out. Um, but <laughs> if if things continue along the way that they are, I suspect for the most part you won't have a lot of car ownership. You'll just have leasing, uh, just mm. because of the nature that that unless something changes with how they're building electric vehicles, there's a planned obsolescence in them, in how difficult they're starting to make some of the components that are known to fail eventually, um, how hard they are to replace. For example, certain electric vehicles. They, you know, like I, I'm pretty sure the Rivian has had the battery pack. The, the truck bed is epoxied on top of the battery pack. So it's, it's not that you, it's very difficult to replace this thing that's very, that otherwise should be pretty replaceable because we know that while they don't degrade instantly over a five to seven, eight year mm-hmm. lifespan, they start degrading enough that some people consider upgrading them. And the, I see a future where the, it's definitely in the car vendor's interest to have everyone, not just people who lease cars, to buy a new car every two, two or three years. And there's certainly plenty of people who already buy a car every two or three years. Um, but there are also plenty of us who buy a car, either new or used, and then drive it into the ground. And you know, I have plenty of cars that are yeah, quite old that, at this yeah. point, right? And I've definitely gotten my money's worth out of them. But they all I also... The major component that I would be concerned about, I guess, would be the engine, you know, or maybe the transmission. But now the other one that you know for a fact will constantly, will ultimately need to be replaced regardless is the battery pack. And unless those are easily replaceable. And also, if you do replace them, what happens on the secondary market? You know, let's say I buy a used vehicle that I know, okay, it has X, you know, 100,000 miles on it. And I know that uh, the battery now has about, holds about 80%, 75% state of charge. So I don't have as much range. I know that eventually I have a pretty high ticket item to get that replaced if I can replace it. So I think a lot of people faced with the fact that, well, if I get a new electric vehicle, I have this amount of range for X number of years. I think a lot of people will, will go more to a model of buying a new car within that span of time. I don't know what happens to all those used cars on the market at that point, but I, it's, I see a subscription model for cars themselves. I think basically I see the extension of you're already subscribing for certain parts of the car hardware. I see that uh, being something that, that car companies push more in general for the car itself, like beyond just leasing. Yeah, I know. that's a, 
it's interesting. It, what's particularly interesting about that, as you were describing this potential future where, where cars are mostly leased, we're also right now in a moment where people are considering cars um, flippable investments, which is you know what I alluded to earlier with the manufacturers cracking down, but people are out there doing it, and it's it's so because you think of flipping an asset as you know a house or something that is not does does not depreciate. So there is a, a what I'm getting at is there is kind of a greater sense of ownership right now, and you know, and so I think that's interesting that we're at this kind of inflection point where we're about to go another direction or or not. Um, yeah. I mean, what it, what it's caused me to conclude, at least right now. It, thankfully, I'm not in a position where I need to get a car right now. This now is not a great time to need to get yeah, a car. It's not at uh, all. <laughs> so I'm not in a position for that. All the 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 main family car that we use for everything, while it's now goodness, it's ten years old. Um, it's one of those kinds of cars that it's not even close to halfway through its lifespan. Yeah, you know, and with a little bit of Toyota. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like a little Honda, you know. And so it's one of those things that. You know, maybe in another 50,000 miles, I need to, I may need to put a couple grand into it, but then it'll be running for another 100,000 miles. It's one of those deals. Um, but if I did have to buy a new car today, I don't think that I honestly, because of all of the tracking and the fact that I have no control over the tracking and no agency to disable it uh, and, and all of that, I wouldn't buy a new car today. I, I frankly wouldn't. If I had to buy a new vehicle, it would be an old car. And if I wanted it to be it would be a, a car before all of this. Uh, when know. is that? Well, it's so, for example, I think anything uh, after 19, any uh, passenger car after 1996-ish is when the that ODB2 plug was introduced for emissions testing so that you started getting some semblance of a car computer. Now, th those are pretty rudimentary, but you can hook up, you can hook up an adapter to that and get all kinds of information out of the engine. And some of that's stored. Now, over the years, I got more and more sophisticated, but the cars before that had had almost had very, very basic, basic sensors. And then some like uh, uh, commercial vehicles after that, uh, for example, my van, I have a, my RV is after 1996. However, it's before ODB2 was required on that mm -hmm. kind of commercial vehicle. So when I go to, when I go to get my emissions tested, uh, they scratch their head if they're not, if they're not an old timer, because they have to actually go and take out go into the engine a little bit to test. <laughs> they have no idea. Uh, yeah. But, but anyway, so to me, like even something newer than that, I suppose if you never take it to the vendor or a mechanic that would download everything and you know, it's not connected, then you might be able to get by with a more recent car that doesn't have any sort of cell phone connectivity in it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and well, for example, since we know that 3G is pretty much being turned off, yeah. any car from the era of 3G and before the era of 4G, no. you, you right. can be rest assured that it no longer can communicate or if it can, right. it won't be very long before it can. So those yeah. could be fair game. You know, the 2G is fair game. Uh, My but last I'm car thinking, was 2G. I wish I yeah. kept it. <laughs> but there's also, I mean, the thing that I'm kind of optimistic about a little bit is when I do get another car, I probably will want to get some sort of drive around town to electric vehicle for errands, not road trips. I have a van for road trips, but for just basic going to the grocery types of things, I'm strongly tempted to essentially get an aftermarket EV kit. And they're starting, there's quite a few that are showing up now mm -hmm. where you can take a, a, they're more popular for like really vintage vehicles uh, because there's a whole aftermarket, especially here in California, right, taking, yes. you know, classic cars and then you strip it down it. and you put it in. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there are drop-in replacements for Volkswagens. You can get full kits where you take an old, like a vintage Volkswagen or Porsche and replace it all in with no drilling and no modification of the actual vintage car. Like you drop it in and then you could later restore it back to a, to the original stock engine without any drill holes being drilled or anything. So, so you that's could have like a 74 Carmen Ghia that's an EV basically. I, yeah, you could easily, to... yeah, you could basically do that. And they, and they're zippy, you know, I mean, they're, they're pretty huh. fast considering that. So, the, so the, I have to report this, uh, Phil, uh, Phil Hughes, who started Lineage Journal and, uh, and was the man in charge for a long time. Um, he had, in addition to two Mercedes that he constantly, Mercedes diesels, I think that he constantly swapped parts between in his backyard. He had a Volkswagen Rabbit, which is this little funny looking car in the 70s that. that he stripped down and he made an electric car. He, 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 he made his own kit and it had a, an engine that was 
uh, I'm holding my hands up. You can't see it if you're listening, but um, it was at the size of a small garbage can. And, um, and it was really cool because he, his batteries were, were, you know, wet cell storage batteries. They were not lithium batteries. They were, and they were in the doors, they were in the trunk, they were scattered around. And, but there was a lot of room under the hood as well, because the, it, it just took, it was an engine and a transmission and it went on and off. And if it was on, you could, the power curve was more like a straight line. So you could go in any gear. It didn't matter. You know, it was kind of really weird. You could be in first gear and it was going faster, but the, the engine was just spinning and you could hear every freaking noise that car made in the suspension and everything else, because you realized how much engine noise masked everything. But yeah. it was a it was a home built kid on his part. So, that was, but that was my first electric car <laughs> that I ever drove. Yeah, a lot of the I've I've watched quite a few videos of various conversions because I'm wondering down the road what what might be interesting for me. And, and in many cases, they say it like a manual transmission car is is easier because yeah. you don't have to worry about the automatic transmission. You basically hook straight up to the transmission. You can shift or not because there's so much power and so much torque. That you don't really right. shift or you don't necessarily have to but that's that's basically what i'm looking at now if if you took away my my family car now and i had to buy a, a quote-unquote new one i would either just find some sort of pretty old enough used uh, internal combustion engine car or try to find something where there was a relatively inexpensive aftermarket ev kit and make that my yeah. ev car a honda civic with a stick yeah, Honda Civic with a stick with a kit. I, I do think that there, at least in the next couple of years, you will see more of that. I've seen, for example, like Chevy's small block drop-in kits. It looks like a Chevy engine. Even it has some batteries even attached to it. And you you take out the old engine, it sort of fits right in place. Uh, oh, just, yeah. I, yeah, I've seen things like, like that. This so. sounds like your next book, Kyle. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that sounds like a fun hack. project. Like this, uh, yeah. Yeah, so it's still pretty preliminary, and maybe I mean maybe this will go away when every when every car is an electric car. Maybe the demand will go down for doing these conversions, but I don't know. I don't think so. I think in many cases, uh, you'll still have people that want some sort of classic vehicle. But anyway, yeah, that's I mean that's what I would do now because in that case, I know exactly what components are in it. I have full control over the elect the EV conversion kit. I know whether or not it's phoning home. And if I were, if I were taking part in the conversion, I would know even more, I guess, but you know, like I have a better sense that it's not phoning home to whatever vendor uh, that I bought the kit from. Uh, and, and if it did, it would be, you know, it's in a box somewhere I could turn it off. Purism EV conversion kit so, with kill switches. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. That's a good idea, actually. I just I wonder had a, how big that market is. I don't know. <laughs> going back to the creepy thoughts, it occurs to me that, okay, so let's say the, as things get more and more electronic and the cars are less and less hours and the urge for, toward public safety gets higher for whatever reason, would it be a matter of time before law enforcement says, I, we want the ability to turn off a car that's uh, like racing down the highway and a danger to others. And we have partnered with these car makers to do that. That's a thinkable I mean, thing, isn't it? I, I would imagine. There are shades of that in rental car market already. You know, they, oh, yeah, yeah. one of the benefits of them adding the, uh, the GPS is that they can keep, they can make sure you don't speed. And if you mm -hmm. do, they know, and they will log it and will, um, you'll get in trouble when you turn it back in. Well, I, I already had some experience, not with that exactly. And it was quite a few years ago, like maybe maybe 10 or 12 years ago. Um, we went skiing from Los Angeles to Mammoth. And so we're going through the high desert. And there was a truck in front of us. And I think it had a Ford Focus, which I wanted because you could put an MP3 CD in the dashboard. And I had recorded a bunch of stuff like podcasts and stuff on an MP3 CD. And but it even said MP3 in the slot. And... Um, and we're going along there. I think we're going like 70. I wanted to pass this truck. So I floor it. It gets up to 80 and I could feel it just stop speeding. Mm -hmm. Governor. I, what's going on? I can't overtake this truck. I eventually did, but I realized they're not letting me go over 80. And I actually called them and they said, oh yeah, no, we, 
we put a governor on that car so it won't go over 80. And I thought that's so wrong. <laughs> you know, I understand why they did it, but they should tell you that when it's you like get a it. It's a safety issue in some well, cases. There yeah. are rare cases where you really I mean, need to speed yeah. up. Like a lot of trucking agencies do that as well when, when they're not employing owner operators, but they're, you know, mm. everyone's, they own the trucks. They will right. put governors on the trucks for that for a similar reason. Really? But that's also underlines this notion of ownership, right? If you, who's the owner of the vehicle, the person who can put a governor on the vehicle and can control its speed. So yeah. if you buy yeah. your futuristic electric car and someone else can install a governor on it, then is it really yeah. yours? When, when my wife bought a 1992 Infiniti Q45, that was when, Nissan wanted to compete with BMW and Mercedes. They just came out with the Infiniti brand, like in 89. So it was like a three-year-old brand. And this thing was hot. It was like a, you know, it, was a, it had a big eight-cylinder engine and it had no mileage whatsoever. And, but it was hot. And they told us when we bought it, this won't go over 150. We won't let it go over 150. Ask me if I tried doing that. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you I didn't. Pop I didn't. It out I, at I, I got well over 100. I decided there's this will go faster. <laughs> I slowed it down. That was on the, on the five in, in California, but yeah. But yeah, I could, I could definitely, there's, I could see various public safety things. Once the capability is there, and in many cases, the capability is already there where we've already seen how law enforcement will abuse emergency requests with big tech vendors to get information um, that they want uh, for various reasons, same thing. I'm sure we've talked plenty about Ring and mm -hmm. same things there. And I, we may have even talked about this happening with law enforcement and car, uh, car telemetry data. In fact, I'm pretty sure there's at least oh, one yeah, case that made the news a couple of years ago where law enforcement was able to um, was able to rule out someone's alibi who was with a murder conviction mm. because they said that they were somewhere and then they were able to demonstrate they by getting the, the tracking information out of the car that no, they weren't where they said they were, that sort of thing. Mm. And I think this will, I mean, there's why I can't see of an instance where uh, law enforcement wouldn't be allowed to, to get a warrant to pull all of that location data out of the car. And even if they couldn't pull it, even if you, for whatever reason, it didn't come out of the car, as they wouldn't necessarily have to go to the car. If it's being streamed, they could just send the subpoena or the warrant over to the car company or barring that, buy it from the data broker who is selling all this information because all you have to do is get, you know, buy the location. Like, like we've talked about before, if you can buy location data, even if it's quote unquote anonymized, you can start figuring out who it is based on where was this location at, at midnight from mm. from midnight to eight you know that's where they that's where they live uh, that sort of thing so it would be very easy to just go to the data brokers and have your account and then narrow the band to a certain area and then say well what car is at this location which cars are at this location at midnight um routinely and that's probably where that's probably this person's car or that's where this person lives and we know whose it is that sort of thing yeah uh, this is almost re relevant, I think. I remember once that I was in rural Massachusetts, there was a stuck red light. And I was sitting at that light thinking, am I going to go or not go? And I sat there like a few minutes. And there's nobody behind me. But on Google Maps, traffic turned red on that spot. And I knew that's my car. My car is telling Google through my carrier that traffic is stopped here. <laughs> yeah. And then I decided I'm just going to go. <laughs> well, so. Yeah, there was a there was this this famous story where someone took a a, uh, oh, a little uh, wagon, a, a wagon with a hundred full phones of Android phones. Yeah, <laughs> I heard about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and he just, just went down the around. highway and generated traffic. They just like walked down the sidewalk and generated <laughs> traffic. That's hilarious. <laughs> there was a, an experience I had in, in L.A. once where um, traffic piled up on the the uh the 110 the freeway going through downtown la and all of a sudden we were using Waze. Waze is the the one to use in la i don't know why but people like Waze more than um 
Google Maps or the Apple one. Anyway, we it said, okay, alternative route or whatever, take the stadium way exit. So we did, and we followed the directions with a caravan of cars. There was a caravan of cars that was all driven oh. by <laughs> ways through these side streets, which nobody nobody knew about these side streets, okay? That just took you that way. And and that was really interesting because, you know, a few miles down, it gets you back on the highway and you've bypassed the traffic uh, or the accident or whatever it was that happened and you're back on the road. And, but it, you could almost feel the puppet strings being, <laughs> being pulled. And if everyone's taking the same detour, it's a well, disaster. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and you could apply this to, you know, what people can do with this, what could be done with this data. Let's say that in the future, that you know there are certain there are certain things that are illegal in one state that aren't that aren't illegal in another state or let's say right. that we have prohibition like is back. Sorry, let's say yeah. that we have you know let's say prohibition is back and you can get yeah. in trouble uh for buying and and buying alcohol in your state but you know that you can go across state lines well that was you know that back when there were dry counties and dry states mm -hmm. you could typically go other state lines but let's say we're in the future and you can't do that uh it's very easy now and would be easy in the future for law enforcement to know the location of all of the liquor stores across state lines and mm. keep track of all of the people in, in their state who went across state lines and went to that said liquor, illegal liquor store and, and then came back. You know, or and the then closest that's, abortion clinic in Colorado to Texas. It feels like a pretty real, although I don't think Texas <clears> is... <throat> is how has te gosh i feel like i should know this as a texan but has texas threatened the the um to prosecute people for leaving the state i know i think mississippi did i can't remember which states are are rattling the the swords a little bit more loudly about people crossing state lines to get abortion but that seems like a really obvious risk when when if they can just pull your car data yeah we have the capability now you know 50 years ago you would have to have someone tailing someone you know, a physical yeah. human being tailing someone right. yeah, to pull, yeah, pull yeah. that off, right? But now you the capabilities there to know which places everyone within a state is going and, and to do a pretty quick filter to to find out which you know which vehicles are, are going to this location. Well there are cop TV shows that show this stuff too. I mean we're we're watching um, Killing Eve that takes place in the UK mostly or partly. But one car is following another car at some distance, but the hacker working for MI6 or MI5 or whatever it was is busy looking at both of them somehow. The assumption is this is public, this is knowable information they could be hacked into. Mm -hmm. You know, no, no, air, no helicopter aerial surveillance or anything else required. Kind of, kind of creepy. Well, yeah, and, and with guides that are saying things along the lines of, well, if you're going to go across state lines and, and go to the liquor store, you shouldn't bring your cell phone or you should use a burner or you should do Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, that's great, but what about what vehicle are you <laughs> using to, to go to the liquor store? Yeah. Um, and is that a modern vehicle that's connected and has a friendly relationship with law enforcement that turn over location data or just turns it over to the data brokers who then have a have a friendly relationship yeah you don't even that's the thing that nobody needs a warrant anymore that you can just buy it exactly <laughs> yeah buy it and as that's a marketer a and that's where all of this data i mean that's what's great about this to turn it back go full circle this markup article talks about not simply that these the car vendors are doing this but that there's this whole industry behind that data brokers who are buying this data because of how valuable this in particular the location data is but everything else and so i as long as there is a, someone asked me the other day, um, well, what's the solution to this sort of thing? And, mm. and my response, I mean, besides the fact of how challenging that is, I, I said, to me, it's twofold. One, one way that you can, one half solution is uh, consumer demand. If people are voting for their, with their mm -hmm. dollar for alternatives, that creates one side of this, one side of it. But the other, but that's not sufficient by itself. You also have to uh, have some level of regulation because without regulation, it's still profitable to sell the data. And so as long yeah. as it's more profitable to sell it than it is to not, it 
people will, companies will continue to do it. So you have to make it not profitable on one side by regulating it and make it not profit and make the alternative more profitable by having people demanding it. But of course, in the car market, the first part doesn't work very well right now because there are really no alternatives. You know, right. In other markets, you can say, well, I'm going to buy this product instead because it protects my privacy better. But in the car market, no one's marketing on privacy because you know only a handful of us are really thinking about that issue right now, mm-hmm. concerned about it. Yeah, I was thinking too that I don't know what the deal is in Europe, but when I've been there, I've noticed there are no old cars on the road. They don't want them. They don't. I mean, you, I think you're even required after a certain point. It must be to unload cars. I'm just amazed at how. I mean, here you're going to see. It's not like it used to be where you'd always see some junkers on the road, but you still see many more of them in the U.S. than you see there. I, I got to that thought by thinking about how people used to be able to hotwire a car. Remember, you know, like mm-hmm. the, the bad guy or the cop or the guy who's super smart or the MacGyver type, you know, gets in, he reaches under the dashboard, he yanks out some wires behind the ignition and he wires them together and he hotwires the car and takes off. Uh, it's not even thinkable with a newer car at this point. You can't even get into the car. You don't have the remote key fob thing you know not, nothing's gonna happen yeah now you have to be a hacker instead so in, yeah instead yeah. instead the, the the new movie instead of showing them rip under the dash and put two wires together yeah, they like, had their phone and they press a button on their phone and then the <laughs> right, car unlocks, right, right. and then they sit in and okay. press another button and the car starts yeah yeah that's there probably is a movie already where that's happening i would yeah, imagine sure. yeah I it, imagine feels, so, it feels yeah. familiar <laughs> yeah it does feel familiar uh, it reminds typical. me of the all this talk reminds me of the um, the car hacking village at DefCon. Mm-hmm. So Kyle was there for my first DefCon experience. I don't, you know, I'd never been. I'd always been afraid of it, frankly. I'd always thought we should go there as you know, put our Linux journal hats on and go to DefCon and, and write some things <laughs> and meet some people. And but I was I was scared. I was like, oh, someone's going to steal all my data. I'm an idiot. I don't know what I'm doing. And uh, finally, I sucked it up and went and the car hacking part i mean there were so i mean i could go on there were all of the the village at the the medical device thing the election the voting machines and the car thing though were the two the three most eye-opening experiences for me i think i was totally an aside an anecdote but it's just um yeah and i i i am a fairly technical person i i think i hope um and and yeah to that it's so mind-blowing to me i can only imagine how most people don't really understand the uh, nature of of the smartphones we're driving. Yeah, I, I mean, as far as cars go along those lines, it's really like you you took a um, something that had the sophistication of the of the computer control systems for industrial um, for industrial computers, which are not very secure, by the way, um, traditionally, and then plunged it into the smartphone era and put it on the internet. Uh, so you have cars now that the the original sort of computer interfaces are very rudimentary from a security standpoint and, and really closer to like control systems for for industrial applications. And now mm. they have and then they've been turned into smartphones over the course of a handful of years, you know, and yeah. but without this without the security um, knowledge necessarily in between. So that's so people are having like hackers are having a heyday if they have budget to get a car. For research purposes, if their research budget includes car, then mm. <laughs> if they're fortunate enough for that, then yeah, they're having a great time. Mm. Well, I hope they don't have mine. Oh, I hope they do. I hope lots of researchers have my car and they're, <laughs> they're working on making it super secure, but it's totally not going to be private. So, well, I mean, there's uh. that there's that famous Die Hard Four scene where they need to they can't their hot wire scene was instead of using a smartphone to hack it. Uh, the car had OnStar, and so they oh my. they triggered like a, a, a airbag deployment or something like that, and then our, OnStar came on and they socially engineered them to like oh my I, we just had an accident and so and so is is injured and they're going to die could you please I need, you know and that sort of thing and socially engineered them to start the car, so you also do it wow. that way I guess clever clever oh, cool um uh yeah I. I think I, is there anything we haven't covered? I, I think oh, we there's got a to lot. All the I'm thing. sure. Well, yeah, yeah. Oh, there always is. But about the the original topic, is there anything else we want we we want to make sure to mention before oh, we wrap up? 
you know, one little other thing that we could tie in, because we've also talked a lot about right to repair. Oh, and, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Huge. And this ties heavily into right to repair, because one of the, the big pushbacks in the automotive industry about uh, some right to repair legislation has to do with this data and, and the ability for people for outside vendors to have access, either access to this data or control over this data, the ability to turn off this data uh, and that sort of thing. There's, it's definitely in the benefit of, if, if you know that in addition to the streaming data, if, you, if I go to a, an auto dealership to get my car worked on and they can plug something in and get a full dump of everything, mm-hmm. you know, it's in their interest to want to do that. And it's also in the interest to not allow people to want to disable it. So if you have, if right to repair legislation for automobiles happens, in a stronger way, then I could see an aftermarket show up for people who say, well, if you want to disable all of this stuff, flash it with this firmware that we got from Ukraine or whatever it was like John mm-hmm. Deere, um, or this wire, this jumper, this thing, this here, you do these sorts of things and you can actually have a private uh, car again. Hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I think- like it. Before we close, I want to give uh, I want to point out that that latest piece in uh, in the markup is part of a series they have called the Breakdown, and it reminds me of um, Julia Angwin as one of the people who started the markup. I believe she's still there, mm-hmm. um, but she came indirectly through ProPublica from the Wall Street Journal, which that's the it was her work and her team's work in 2010 that made me think and say and write up how I thought that. Uh, that the tide was turning against surveillance <laughs> because they had this really great series back then, which of course is now to some degree disappeared from the wall street journal, um, along with she and her team, but they're at the markup or she's at the markup and it's a good series the breakdown. I'm a fan. So, I think the markup does a lot of really, really good work. Yeah, they do. They do. Spirit of the type of journalism that I like to see. You're the purism yeah. of journalism. I'll put it that yeah, way. That's a compliment. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah well, it. maybe maybe the tide will turn eventually for real. I think it will. I think way. it will. I think I think, I think things will there. even out to some degree. Yeah. It's not going to be easy, it's, and it's not going to happen fast, obviously. Yeah. But the more we talk about I it, hope. the more people are aware of just how much their cars collecting. Maybe. Uh, yeah. Maybe. Well, cool. Well, thank you so much, Kyle, as, as usual. Thank you always for coming on, especially the last great. minute when I'm like, hey, Kyle. <laughs> that was great. It's, it's I thought we were going to get Sean, but we got Kyle. <laughs> Kyle. Great. Both are welcome anytime. Um, yeah, thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope this one has been eye-opening, or at least fun. And until next time. <laughs>